Good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. Right. So, yesterday we were seeing this one, right? Akbar. Policies of Akbar. Uh, right. So, like there are so many policies of Akbar, but the revenue policy, especially with the quarter month, it created a huge difference. It created a huge impact on the Indian subcontinent because the policy of Akbar, it not just you know, uh, confined only during the Mughal Empire, even the emperors who came after that, even the small kingdoms, which came after Mughal or even the small kingdoms that got independence from Mughal Empire. For example, the Nizam of Hyderabad. Okay, so all of them in one or the other way followed the same revenue method, same revenue system, right? Same administrative policies as such Akbar. Okay, so it, it holds prime importance during medieval period. So apart from that, what is uh, what is the name of the revenue system that was followed by Akbar? Guys, the name of the revenue system followed by Akbar. Zakt. Revenue system named Zata. Zat is a rank left. Zat is a rank. Mansabdari. Zat is. What? Mansabdari, Mansabdari. Hmm. Deepa, Drushya. Mansabdari is not the revenue system. Adrika, Zapt. Yes, Zapti are. Yes, that's the revenue system. Okay, so that is the revenue system of Akbar. Who are Jagirdars? Who are Jagirdars? Who are Jagirdars? Good individuals who hold mansabs are called as Jayirdas. Okay. Right. So, anyways, we'll move on to the next person that is Jahangir. Okay. So, anyways, you know, whenever uh, the previous king dies or in the deathbed, usually there's a war of succession will happen. Okay, so Jahangir, who's the prince, Prince Salim, Jahangir is known as the Prince Salim, or Prince Salim is actually changed his name to Jahangir. The literal meaning of Jahangir is the conqueror of the world, right? Uh, there's no need for to, there's no need for us to know that. Anyways, 
Prince Salim, uh, that is Jahangir, he succeeded after Akbar. And obviously, he defeated and imprisoned his son, Mirza. And uh, the thing is, Jahangir is not so particularly, you know, uh, felt good about the Sikh Gurus. Okay. And uh, one of the very important Sikh Guru was Guru Arjunde. Okay. And this Guru Arjunde, who was the fifth Sikh Guru, got killed or got beheaded by Jahangir. Right? So you can see the policy contrast, the stark contrast of policy between Akbar and Jahangir. Akbar had a cordial relationship with other people, that is, other uh, people belonging to other religion. Whereas Jahangir, the son of Akbar, he did not have, uh, he was not particularly fond of other religion, or he was not, you know, he, he was not that kind of welcoming person about other religion. So he beheaded uh, Guru Arjun Dev. Is there any particular reason why Jahangir is behaving in such a way? Because you can see very clearly, see Akbar established Dinilahi, Sulhikul policy of Akbar. Okay, but Jahangir is not so particular about that. Why so? Guys, guys, am I audible, sir? Hmm. Sir, you previously told that he defeated uh, uh, one king. And the imprisonment is not. I think that he is not a follower of the Mughal emperor. He, he just uh, defeated and uh, take control of the uh, emperor. And he have uh, he have introduced his own uh, administration. That is mm. why mm. that is different from Mughal Mughal. Okay. Anything else? Jahangir was under the control of Nur Jahan. Yeah, that is also true. Jahangir may have seen six as a threat. Yes, Sikhs were a threat, obviously, for the political system of Mughals because they were not able to control the northwest part. If they are not, if they could not control the northwest part, then obviously you know what the other consequences will happen along with that, right? So, anyways, Jahangir was not so welcoming for uh, uh, now the Sikh Sikh people. Right, anyways, so Nur Jahan, Nur Jahan is the beloved wife of Jahangir. Even there is a kawaii, okay, during the period of Jahangir, 
there is a coin which mentions about nur jahan and nur jahan means the light of world uh, that's not necessary for us anyways okay so for a long period of time jahangir was under the control of nur jahan and nur jahan actually controlled a lot about uh, jahangir and the majority of the policies of jahangir was based upon nur jahan's idea right anyways it's not necessary next it is sajahan so what do you know about sajahan the builder of taj mahal okay hmm then then apart from taj mahal Shahjana, Shahjahanabad in Delhi. Shahjahanabad, Shahjahanabad in Delhi. Okay. Hmm. Then. He was the fifth Mughal emperor. What? Fifth Mughal emperor. Okay, fifth Mughal emperor. Hmm. He was killed by his son Aurangzeb. Killed by his son Aurangzeb. Jailed, jailed by. Jailed by. Okay. Hmm. He brought different elements to Mughal architecture. Okay. And he adapted Indian art and culture. Hmm. 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 and indian cinema or the architecture hmm right this deccan policy good kartika he brought difference different elements to mughal architecture especially the use of white marble good anything else sorry maintained a very good relationship with the ottoman emperor and the Sir, he maintained a very good relations with the Ottoman Emperor. Okay. Mm. And at this period, he made a conflict with Portuguese. Okay. Right. Anyways, good. So, apart from that, there's nothing much to learn about uh, Sajjan. one thing is his deccan policies was very successful as uh, kartika said deccan policies uh, was very successful he was able to seize a lot of land from the uh, you know the people of south good he built red fort treaties of golconda bijapur okay so apart from that there's nothing much to the next important personality Who's the next important personality, or the last important personality of uh, Mughal Empire? Aurangzeb, right? So, war of succession. 
usually that's what happens right after the death of the previous king and here after the death of shah jahan or during the last period of shah jahan see what happened is one thing shah uh, jahan jahan got ill all these guys started to fight especially dara shiko who was the crown prince okay he started uh, to i mean uh, crown uh, crown prince as well as shah jahan's favorite son but unfortunately there was another person aurangzeb okay he eliminated all the other first people out of the equation all other brothers and uh, yeah aurangzeb was the governor of pekka okay so what happened is as you all know he jailed his father or he uh, made his father surrender and confined in with the female apartment in agra court okay so directly opposite to the taj mahal right so sajahan died anyways after that and uh, aurangzeb became the king one of the most able leaders of mughal empire right and the longest serving mughal empire so aurangzeb is otherwise known as world conqueror or alamgir anyways one thing about aurangzeb is during his first few years he was a great success okay he was able to control the nobles he was able to control the the jagirdars uh, okay but religious policies towards other religions religious policies towards the rajputs his religious policies towards jats and satnamis even against sikhs it created a lot of hatred against aurangzeb okay so the deccan policy of mughals which started during the period of akbar uh, achieved its pinnacle during the period of aurangzeb okay and uh, yeah his his region was i mean during this period also deccan was under a strict control of audio is breaking up okay just give
Am I audible now? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, then. Bye. So. Right. So that's the thing. Aurangzeb slowly controlled. Actually, um, in fact, during the period of Aurangzeb, what happened was, Mansab Das grew grew up in large numbers. Okay, when Akbar started, the Mansab Das were hardly around 300 people. Okay, but by the end of Aurangzeb, during the Aurangzeb period. The Mansabdas were almost like 3,000, 4,000 people. What would be the consequence of this uh, increase in Mansabdar number? The consequence of increased Mansabdar number? Increase in expenditure. What? Expenditure increases. Expenditure increases. How? Uh, salary. Okay. Where do the Mansabdas get salary from? Where do they get the salary from? Mansabdas? Tax paid from. Huh? Uh, tax paid. In their tax paid to whom? In their respective Mansabs. Okay. Then how expenditure will increase? Government is not paying salary to them, right? Then how are you saying expenditure increases? Increase in expenditure. How? Guys, do you understand my question? Uh, yes, sir. Mm. The number of Mansabdas increased drastically during the period of Aurangzeb, or you can say slowly it increased and achieved its highest during the period of Aurangzeb. So, this increase in Mansabdas, whether it creates problem or whether it's aid in the smooth functioning of administration control over the territory and revenue collection may decrease, okay? You understand my question, right? Sir, if the territorial if their territorial length uh, decreases, the uh, revenue from that mansab will decrease. So, uh, each uh, each mansab mansabs uh, mansab that get uh, a specific amount. So, it cannot be fulfilled by uh, these uh, territories. Ah, mm -mm -mm. right. Anything else? Guys, 
300 people and how hard it will be to i mean how hard will it be to control 3000 people good arjun difficult to control the mansab dars increase in mansab dars means they had to wait for long to receive mansab adrika hmm. okay so one issue one important issue is the control okay see the smooth functioning of any territory the smooth functioning of any kingdom will happen only when handful of people are there to control okay if there are 300 mansabdars it's easy to control but if there are 3000 mansabdars it's very difficult not just from the emperor side but also from people side what are the consequences that people will face in such situation you tell me that that people will face thing on the dark sir sir am yes. i audible sir sir uh, yes 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 you are out sir uh, it may leads to increase in taxes uh, the the peasants or common people will come to a terrible due to that mm. uh, because of the heavy taxes most of them they okay. are unable to pay such a big amount of tax mm. and the uh, increasing increasing number of zamindars and all it will leads to a competition among them to collect taxes and that may create okay. uh, the uh, day to day life of uh, problem to day to day life of the peasants right okay so one thing is people are now i mean people now at this point of time were subjected and were subjected to uh, you know a lot of distress right this mansabdas whether this mansabdas care about kingdom king or whether they care about people or whether they care about their own self which is the most reasonable or possible way guys sir can you repeat question sure see mansabdari system is not hereditary right yes guys am i audible yes sir yes sir okay whether the screen is visible yes sir yes yes okay then fine tell me um see mansabdari system one huge change that happened in mansabdari system from mittadari system was mansabdari system was never hereditary right yeah yes sir it's transferable from one person to other person 
whereas Siktadari system was, you know, it's hereditary in nature. So, if that land does not belong to me, or after I die, it doesn't belong to my son or his his son. Okay. So what will I do is usually what the Mansabdas usually do is they try to grab as much as possible. They try to extract as much as possible from the land. So what happens usually in such uh, situations, such circumstances? What usually happens under such circumstances? Conflicts. Conflicts. Heavy. Good Karthik. Heavy taxes. Right. Taxation will be heavy because it doesn't matter. There's no involvement of king in collection of taxes, right? That is a different policy. The revenue administration, revenue policy of the king is different from the policy that the Mansabdas are holding. So when a land is not hereditarily given to you and it cannot be passed, upon, passed to your son, what usually they do is they extract as much as possible. So heavy taxation happens. The heavy taxation combined with People subjected to a lot of famine on side, famine on one side, heavy taxation the other side. Third, no, not a proper support from the king the other side. Increase in Mansabdas means more subjection, more subjugation. So, people are not satisfied. I mean, people were not satisfied. They never were satisfied under any kingdom that anything that's the truth right so people are not satisfied with the kingdom next grew in large number of mansaptas was not good for conducive for any kingdom to go on for a long period of time okay and also aurangzeb started to grow weak his religious policies his hatred religious policies created lot of misunderstanding between him the Rajputs, the Sikhs, the Hindus. Okay, so you can understand. I hope you will understand. Right? Also, there's one important king during this period. Shivaji, the Maratha ruler. Okay, and obviously Aurangzeb and um, Shivaji had issues. And unfortunately, Aurangzeb mistreated Shivaji. Okay, so the Maratha rulers who were pride, who were having a great pride for their culture and tradition, who were having a great pride about their self, when you humiliate them, what kind of you know, retaliation you can expect from them? Guys? Yes, sir. Hmm?
Do you understand my question? Uh, kindly repeat, sir. Ah, sure. <clears throat> See, Shivaji and Aurangzeb were, you know, were always having issues. Okay, but however, after the defeat of Shivaji, Aurangzeb mistreated Shivaji and humiliated him. So the Maratha rulers, who were particularly, you know, fond of their pride, who were, you know, who were having pride of their culture and tradition. Okay, they always expected respect. Even when they were defeated by someone else, they expected respect from them. But unfortunately, you know the policy of Aurangzeb, he never respects anyone. Except, you know, his holy scriptures and uh, Islam, he never respected anyone else, even the Shia Muslims for that case. Okay, so, such a personality like Aurangzeb, should have expected some retaliation from Marathas, Shivaji. So Shivaji escaped the prison. Okay, he launched guerrilla warfares. Marathas are known for guerrilla warfares. Okay, so continuously, the period of Aurangzeb, the later period of Aurangzeb, he had to fight war with the Marathas. And even after the death of Aurangzeb, what happened is the successors of Aurangzebs, they were also posted to fight war with Marathas because there was no other choice. This continuous fight with the Marathas economically drained the Mughal Empire, one thing. Right? This created huge insecurities among other populations also. For example, Rajputs, for example, the Deccan, and also Aurangzeb started to wage a war against the Deccans also. The Golconda, the Shahidi dynasty, Okay, so what happened is he defeated once, but this created insecurity. So his Deccan policy of conquering the Deccan region was also another blunder. So Aurangzeb did two big blunders. One is fighting war with Marathas, and second one is his stupid Deccan policy. Okay. You understand? Yes, sir. So, and uh, you can say this is kind of the end that nobody was expecting. Right? So the Mughal Empire slowly faced its downfall. Right? So what are the reasons for the downfall of Mughal Empire? Reasons for the downfall of Mughal Empire? Sir, the main issue is the economic problems faced during uh, by the war and all they made a huge expense on them uh, because of that they may uh, they may face a very big uh, economic barrier it leads to the end of okay the 
then reasons uh, for the downfall of mughal empire after aurangzeb there was no able successors to uh, to bring up that mughal empire to top level Okay, good. Increase in months of dust. Increase in months of dust. Good. Then, sir, uh, due to invasions of other kingdoms. Due to the invasion of invasions of other kingdoms. Okay, good. Then, Aurangzeb hated policy towards other religions. Yes, Aurangzeb's hatred policies towards other religion and other sections of the society. Good. Then colonialism. Yeah. Okay, colonialism. Actually, colonialism was in a very nascent stage during the death of Aurangzeb. But however, over a period of time, by the year 1857, when the crown rule came in 1858, it was the final coffin in the uh, no, sorry, it was the final nail in the coffin. Yes, colonialism accepted. Hmm. Then. Or after Aurangzeb, there was no such delegate. After Aurangzeb, there was no dedicated emperor like him. Okay, that someone already told. Is there anything else apart from that? Sir, uh, hmm? sir, due to economic losses, uh, their international trade relation may cause to end. Okay. Anything else apart from that? Right. Okay. So these are some of the reasons. Rigid religious policies, absence of military strength. Mughals were not able to satisfy the minimum needs of their population. Good. Okay. So these are some of the reasons for the downfall of Mughal Empire. <clears throat> right. Anyways. As I said. reasons causes for the downfall of mughal empire the religious policy and the deccan policy of aurangzeb the weak successes the demoralization of mughal army the financial difficulties due to the continuous war with the marathas rajputs sikhs okay the guerrilla warfare 
and further as varun said the invasions from other people especially nadir shah and ahmed shah abdali okay so this continued invasion along with the financial difficulties the war against rajputs deccan maratha created a created the reasons for the downfall of the mughal empire okay but however mughal created a large i mean large impact on the indian subcontinent okay so we'll see one by one first mughal okay the impact of mughals in the administration of india the impact of mughal in the administration of india what are the impacts sir yes sir they found the religious discrimination between people especially in the sir they they found a religious discrimination between people especially on the time of aurangzeb uh, there are partiality between the uh, muslims and hindus that that problems created okay okay hmm. right so social and economic life under mughal how was the social and economic life social and economic life during the period sir, of mughal sir due to heavy taxes the common people were unable to pay the taxes on time because of mm -hmm. that they pay, uh, they have to they face a very uh, crucial uh, punishment and all due to due to okay creates mm. problem yes ordinary ordinary people suffered from poverty and uh, sufferings because you know the reasons heavy taxations by the mansabdars right and the peasants artisans they had to go through a lot of struggle because of this increased taxation and the poverty famine was a continuous reason whereas the other side if you see the nobles lived a lavish life right a lavishly um, a lavish life they had a lot of wealth they had a lot of prosperity okay while the nobles lived a lavish life unfortunately people lived in suffering okay right what uh, what about agriculture agriculture during the period of mughals built the canals for irrigation good that's But it they, they encouraged the water did not contribute much in the development of agriculture okay one issue with the mughal is see they always say mughal empire was great mughal did this mughal did that. mughal did nothing man truth be told mughal did nothing 
see if you are going to rule a region for 500 600 years continuously together uh, you are bound to create one or the other administrative waves you are bound to create one or the other uh, revenue system you are bound to create one or the other canal you are bound to create one or the other uh, you know places for the people except akbar even akbar did not care much about people he had his own policies he cared about the religion he cared about the peace between different people but even he did not concentrate much on the development of india he did not concentrate much on the development of people as such right all of them cared about their own success own wealth expanding the region controlling the other population controlling the rajputs marathas controlling the deccan that's all they had in mind they did nothing to the contribution of agriculture okay they did nothing to increase the standard of living of people nothing they tried to increase the trade but the increasing in trade or increase of trade did not amount much to people the increase of trade trade helped only the nobles the increase of trade helped the mughals emperors not the common people the common people whether they were under british or whether they were under mughal or whether they were under delhi sultanate they faced the same issue but one thing about one thing that differentiates mughal and the british was mughal spent everything inside india they lived a lavish life inside india but british took everything away from india and it somewhere else that's the only difference apart from that mughal and the british or whether the delhi sultanate they were all one and the same right the growth of trade that happened during this period uh, for example the banjaras who are banjaras banjaras traders ha huh? a long distance traders good long distance traders okay so is there any speciality about banjaras they carries news with the man provide they carried what regional news for kings okay so this banjaras are the people who involved in trade they also acted as spice okay this kind of spice system was introduced by alauddin khilji using banjaras to you know the traders the banjaras to come up i mean uh, to make made them spice right so apart from that the regions of gujarat the gujarati merchants the hindu merchants jain merchants and muslim merchants of the gujarat they also benefited out of the trade long distance trade okay and if you see in the south india the chettis chettiar chettiar community of the koramandal coast and the muslim merchants of malabar region they are the people who benefited out of this long distance trade right so even during the trade even when the tra growth of trade was so huge not all the people benefited out of it only particular sections of the society as i said the malabar uh, muslims 
the uh, you know the Coimbatore and uh, uh, South Indian Chettiars, okay, and Gujarati merchants, Gujarati Muslim and Jain merchants, right? And these are, for example, Agarwals. Okay, so these are some of the population who benefited out of the long trade, and not all the people. Okay, and this growth of trade and this growth of certain sections, particular sections of the society, created a huge imbalance in the society. Am I right? What kind of imbalances? What kind of imbalances? Economically. Economic imbalance, sir. No, what I'm saying is only particular section of the society got benefited out of this trade. Okay, the trade benefits that arise during this period. What I'm asking is this created imbalance in the society. I'm asking what kind of imbalances. And everyone knows it is an economic imbalance. But what kind I'm asking? Poor becomes more poor, which becomes more richer. What? Ah, poor exactly. becomes more poor and which becomes more richer. Exactly. Poor become more poor, rich become richer during this period. Okay, that's why... Shetiyas of Tamil Nadu, they have a lot of money. And Malabar Muslims also have a lot of money, right? Noah. Yes, sir. Karthik, rise of middle class. No, rise of middle class happened during the period of British. During this period, during Mughal period, no rise of middle class happened. Okay. So, as I was saying, the traditional community, the traditional money lending community, the traditional trading community of today that you see, they all benefited during the Mughal period and it continued, it still till date it continues because of the skewed trade benefits they got. Okay, one side farmers, artisans were not getting enough money, were not able to lead a simple normal life. But on the other side, Chetis, uh, Jains, they were getting a lot of money and by the trade and the development of trade. Okay, so economic inequality raised during the period of Mughals because of the growth of trade and the concentration of trade and traders on only a few hand. Right, anyways, next, cultural, cultural development under the Mughal. What kind of cultural development happened under the Mughals? Cultural development happened under the Mughals.
Use of white marbles. Huh? Use of white marbles. Use of white marbles. Okay. Mm, that's not that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking cultural development. What you are saying is art and architecture. So, so. Hmm? So, Islamic art and Indo-Islamic art and architecture development uh, that already happened anyways. Okay, okay, sir. Okay. Hmm. Anything else? Sir, the Mughal period influences the building of palaces and the uh, big buildings during those periods. Not getting a what? Sir, uh, the Mughal period influences the building of palaces and the other uh, uh, huge buildings during those periods. Okay. Again, Varun, it's art and architecture, Varun. What I'm asking is culture. There's a difference, right? There's a difference between art and culture, art and architecture and culture. I'm asking culture. Around. Uh, they transferred Persian culture to India. Ah, exactly. That's what I was expecting. Right? The Persian culture. The tradition. Indo-Iranian traditions. Indo-Turk tradition. The culture. The amalgamation of Indo-Iranian culture. The amalgamation of Indo-Persian culture. The amalgamation of Indo-Turkey culture. That's what I'm asking. Right? Anyways. Um, apart from that, what else is there? Art and architecture, of course. Now you can tell me. The contributions of Mughal in the development of art and architecture. Suhikul, yes, Kartika. Petra Dura. Huh? So the decorating of walls with semi-precious stones or stoneworks? Yes. Then. Okay, I expected more from you people. Because that's what you are saying, right? From the start onwards, you were speaking about art and architecture only. Now I'm asking you about art and architecture, but you are not saying anything. Come on. Patepur Shikri. Mm, okay. Then. Sir, they used to build buildings uh, such as monuments such as. Uh, 
monuments such as uh, Taj Mahal red forts and the uh, Taj Mahal red uh, forts. So peacock throne. Mm. Yes, good peacock throne. Kohinoor diamond. Kohinoor diamond. Then. Miniature paintings. Right. So that's it. Like, anyways, we can keep on telling because apart from that, they did nothing except the development of art and architecture. Mughal did nothing to the development of India to the people as such. Okay. Right. Anyways. So, is there any other thing that we have to concentrate when we are uh, when we see Mughals? Is there anything else? Music. Music, yeah, sure. Why not? Dancing. Music and dance. So dancing. Ah, yes, good dancing. Navratnasan Akbar Scott. Hmm, good. Then. Literature. Okay, literature development. What kind of literature did this guy develop? Sir. They have translated so many books to Persian. Yes, that you can say. Right, anyways, I think uh, that's all about Mughal Empire. Okay, the painting, music, art, architecture. Apart from that, literature development, language development. Okay, apart from that, Mughals did nothing for the country and for the people. Okay, so what about the life of common people all this period, starting from Delhi Sultanate? Uh, even under Rajputs, you can say, even under Marathas, Rajputs, Marathas, um, Sikh, one side, and then uh, Mughals, Delhi Sultanate. How was common people life during this period, during this entire medieval period? Common people's life during this medieval period. They have suffered a lot. Suffered a lot. Okay. That is true. But um, if UPS is going to ask you this question for 10 marks or 15 marks, and you are going, if you are going to write just, they suffered a lot, you, you cannot expect much mark, right? Come on, there are a lot of things to say. Don't just confine yourself to they suffered a lot. Sir, there was no economic betterment in the life of common people. 
they were uh, they were forced to uh, pay heavy taxes imposed on them and they didn't get mm. much more support in agriculture and the uh, irrigation mm. they didn't the, uh, the the rulers didn't provide the uh, infrastructural facilities for them for the better mm. of agriculture uh, and the uh, produce of uh, products and all and uh, there are lot of uh, religious partialities and the uh, division and subdivisions of people during that period Yes, and they, yes. They, they have faced many cruelty from Zanidas. True. Okay, like good. So, anyways, people suffered a lot under their hand. One side agriculture was failing, one side famine was striking, the other side Mansabdars were uh, extravagantly living lavish life by extracting money from the uh, not uh, artisans from the people of. Uh, artisans and peasants uh, okay so people continued to suffer under the hands of various people doesn't matter whether it was rajput or whether it was maratha or uh, whether it was moguls people suffered all throughout the medieval history okay because they cared was their pride their own pride the expansion of the land extension of their territory that's all they cared caste discrimination patriarchy women subjugation uh, no uh, no education for women medieval illiteracy okay they continued to suffer people continued to suffer not just on one front on multiple fronts people were suffering because of this right yes religious marginalization caste discrimination right so that's that's the thing people continue to suffer under the hands of these guys right anyways so is there anything else about moguls anything else the rulers introduced the of profit maximization all they cared is their own pride and uh, own development nothing else the rulers did not care about the people and as long as rulers does not care about the people why do you think people will care whether it was mughal or british am i right if people cared whether it was mughal or whether it was british british could not have captured india the major reason the one of the important reason for the capture of india by the british was the mughals okay the stupidity of moguls and the other uh, kingdoms the other kings even people did not care if you are ruling in a very bad way if you are if people are subjected to famine hunger poverty continuously 
even when the regime is even when the regime changes nobody is going to care and all the more people would expect the regime to change am i right yes sir like what's happening today in india right anyways so next we will see the bhakti movement okay so guys go for break and come after the break we'll look at the we'll, we'll see the bhakti movement right okay so okay
Bye. Hey guys. Yes, sir. This is Bhakti Moment. Right? See, uh, Bhakti Movement is one such topic that is very potential for UPS. Okay. Every year, every year, at least one question is coming from Bhakti Movement. Either it's about the personality or uh, whether uh, they are contemporary of Akbar, Babar, Himayun, or whether they are contemporary of Aurangzeb or, uh, uh, no, the, uh, who, uh, I mean, Guru Arjan Dev, Guru Gobind Singh, Kabir Das, for example, Eknath, Tukaram, lot of people are there. So, Bhakti movement and Sufi movement, or Sufism, Bhakti movement and Sufism is one such topic that is very potential for UPSE. Every year, at least one question is coming from that topic. Okay, so kindly concentrate on this part and sorry. <clears throat> right, so what is Bhakti Pastapat? Bhakti. The meaning of bhakti. The bhakti is the worship of God. What bhakti is? The worship of God. Worship of God. Okay. Hmm. Devotion, devotion. Okay, right. Anyways, that's the literal meaning is devotion only. That's true. But one thing about bhakti is it involves no middleman. Okay. Bhakti is the devotion of a devotee, right? To the God. Right? Devotion of a devotee to a God is known as bhakti. Without any involvement of the middleman, without any involvement of the spiritual leaders, without any involvement of guardmen. Okay. So without the involvement of any middle person, if someone seeks religion, if someone seeks a devotion to the God, that is known as bhakti. Okay. So what happened during this period is there were a lot of middlemen. Am I right? There were a lot of middlemen during this period. That is the period between 8th century to 18th century. Middlemen rampantly, uh, no, middlemen rampantly stubbed against the religion. Right? Who are those middlemen? The middlemen during this period. Brahmanas. Okay, good. Then. Priest, Brahmanas. Was there any middleman in uh, Islam? Ulemas. Ulemas, good. Right? So, middlemen were there. Middlemen were always there during this entire medieval period. And some people found this middlemen are. Are uh, you know right? 
this middleman i one thing is i am not able to express myself without in a condescending voice for this middleman right anyways i'll try myself to be neutral at least for the sake of the class so this middleman you know they expected a lot from the people okay they got money they got a kind cash from the people to contact with god even that today it's happening right even these days it's happening you know any middleman famous middleman godman known for accept, uh, accepting lot of money guys am i audible sir could you repeat the question once again okay anyways don't answer that question no issues and did he have any beard huh uh, any beard bearded man <laughs> yeah good any okay many are there right not just any there's one famous person in the north there's one famous person in the south in a deep jungle and there's one person who has his own country okay so a lot of middlemen and godmen are there <clears throat> so anyways um, we'll move on with the bhakti movement so these are some of the famous personalities or some famous bhakti uh, saints okay so you can see their region right gurunanak in the punjab sindh region dadu dayal rajasthan mirabai gujarat and the entire up see most important people situated in the up and the bihar region that is surdas ramananda kabir raidas vallabhacharya chaitanya mahaprabhu tulasidas okay and apart from that if you come to maharashtra you can see other important personalities that is eknath tukaram namdeva gyaneshwara okay and when you come to karnataka you can see basavanna okay and in andhra pradesh purandra dasa and when you come to tamil nadu three important people are there manika vasagar ramanuja nammalwar okay so these are some of the important personalities of mughal uh, sorry uh, sorry important personalities of bhakti movement right so sufism there's a difference between the sufism and orthodox muslim right islam right what is the major difference between sufism and orthodox islam against shariat ha huh? ha huh. sharia sharia ya yeah, bi sharia ba sharia who's bi sharia who's ba sharia <laughs> i don't know okay 
so the people who followed shariat is known as ba sharia and the people who did not follow is known as bi sharia right so sufism they did not follow shariat right yes sir in fact uh, the orthodox islam and the sufism locked horns once in a while sufi people they did not like orthodox islam orthodox islam they did not like sufi people because they wanted to follow shariat law and they had their own middleman whereas sufism it all refers to the islamic mysticism along with the liberal reform inside the islam okay and some of the important personalities are orthodox believing rituals and aryas islam correct so khaja mainuddin chisti right he is the he is the most important of all the sufi saints and apart from that sheik ismail nizamuddin auliya so different people different even within sufism there were different people who were having different orders chisti is a different order uh, zakaria is a different order auliya is a different order okay so they were just like these spiritual gurus okay but not like the contemporary spiritual gurus okay the idea of sufism is very simple okay they believed in good actions meditations okay going to pilgrimage okay fasting charity dance music am i right that's all sufism about okay and you know that the liberal and unorthodox features of sufism had a profounding effect not just on the islam population but also on the hindu people right and the bhakti movement of south had a great far reaching impact even in sufi movement okay sufism is all about the essentials of love and devotion for the realization of god just to realize the god you have to be you know the essentials of love and devotion is to be followed right so anyways uh, sufism believed in the service of humanity sufism believed in love sufism believed in fasting charity music dance okay almost all the times they expressed their feelings through music isn't it is there any famous sufi music people i mean people related to music sufi some sufi music is there any movie is there any songs in any movie famous sakhawai ah good then Khaja, Adil, uh, which song you are saying? Ah, uh, exactly right. Khaja, mere Khaja. Right, so hmm. one beautiful thing about Sufism is not just its music. Okay. it's 
it revamped the entire islamic structure okay the islamic or uh, islam rules of that period leaned towards orthodoxy okay but once the sufi gurus started preaching once sufism the mysticism of sufism became popular among population it attracted people from other religion to come into uh, islam right so the liberal ideas of sufism along with their way of expressing it through music by the elimination of middlemen by the you know by your own good nature own good will of love that's all sufism is about right so this is the difference exact difference between sufism and orthodox muslim sufism highlights the inner purity they don't care about how much money you have they don't care about whether you come from a noble family they don't care about whether you are uh, born hindu and converted to islam sufism is all about the inner purity all they consider is the love and devotion for attaining salvation okay guys if there is a question that uh, sufism was extreme sufism was a extreme form of methodology uh, will you accept that as you know will you accept it or uh, is there any refuting points from your side sir kindly repeat sir question is if there is any question that sufism is kind of uh, extreme measures followed extreme measures it's a extreme idea whether you will accept that or whether there is any point to refute it no 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 means they are not extreme not extreme sure they do not follow any rules and regulations so they are not okay anyways bye sir same as me but uh, what about fasting sir it is not an extreme huh? is not an extreme one because they, they didn't force the people to follow their way and there is no as you already said mm. there is no rules and regulations they have they they okay. motive that to uh, make devotion among people by songs dances and mm. okay varun by you by the explanation that you are giving Uh, you can consider jainism also not an extreme one right but sir you understand my point penance like uh of uh, death jainism is an extreme jainism is an extreme form because they relied upon fasting penance okay it's not because it was violent it's not because they forced other people that's not the reason why it was extreme the reason for jains or uh, jainism being extreme is that they followed extremity in the methods of attaining salvation that's what i'm asking 
whether sufism is extreme or not maybe you will get the clarity once you see upsc questions right anyways uh, going going to orthodox muslims orthodox islam so sufism is all about inner purity whereas orthodox islam is along with the inner purity it is about the external conduct in the society okay by following the scripture holy scripture right ulemas so all these things are involved okay right anyways so before going to that we'll see some questions from uh, uh, sufi movement sufism ओके so arvars are the devotees of lord krishna or uh, vaishnavites to be precise and you know even within the vaishnavites they were uh, there were different sect some people followed rama some people followed krishna okay even they fought amongst themselves right so the tradition of bhakti that started in south india it slowly moved towards north india during the period of 10th to 15th century okay and the peak of this bhakti tradition happened in the period of 15th century especially with the advent of chaitanya mahaprabhu okay chaitanya mahaprabhu belonging to west bengal and it slowly moved towards maharashtra up okay but anyways it all started from the uh, south india and especially with the arvars and nayanmars of tamil nadu okay so as i said arvars are the people who gave their devotion to lord vishnu and nayanars or nayanmars are the people who showed their devotion to lord shiva okay and what they did was like usual they traveled from place to place they wrote poem okay sang songs hymns praising their lord praising their gods devalluvar bhakti saint right मोर दउस 
at least i am saying so don't confuse okay thiruvallur has got nothing to do with bhakti tradition uh, all he all he cared about was ethics love conduct okay right anyways the arvas and nayan mars so you know right this period that 8th century and 9th century period was the period where they had two religion india especially the south india had two religion what are those religions south india had two religions during this period what are those religions guys jainism and hinduism hmm jainism and hinduism no 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 buddhism and jainism jainism no no not at all south india had two religion during the period of 8th century 10th century alvas and nayanas huh alvas and nayanas alvas and nayanas are the followers not the religion okay anyways no worries uh, the religion one religion is vaishnavism the other religion is shaivism there was no hinduism hinduism is a religion that came very late in fact uh, hinduism is a kind of religion that uh, developed only to control other religions to penetrate into india they don't know what to name this religion some people followed uh, lord uh, krishna some people followed lord rama some people followed lord shiva okay so there were different gods ganesh ganpati okay there were lot of different gods available so what they did is once up once suddenly they thought okay why to fight amongst each other let's combinedly make one religion they combined elements of different religion and made one single religion that is known as hinduism and moreover hinduism is not a religion in fact hinduism is just a way of living right but during this period there were two important religions one is vaishnavism the other one is shaivism okay majority of the times the king the king who ruled south india were shaivites for example the choras okay for example the pallavas many of them were shaivites and they always fought with the vaishnavites okay if people were vaishnavites they tried to eliminate vaishnavites by different measures through different measures they eliminated vaishnavites Vaishnavas, the followers of Lord Mahavishnu, and Shaivas, the followers. Yeah, that's it. Right. Anyways, how many of you saw this movie? Uh, watched this movie, Dasavatar? Dasavatar movie. Kamal Hasan. 
okay good so i hope you remember the introduction song right introduction song and introduction of the movie right so that's exactly what shaivites and vaishnavites did during that time they fought amongst each other they killed each other okay today like how uh, after british british invasion how islam people of islam and people of hindus are fighting amongst each other not in south india and especially in north india so how they are fighting against each other just like that once upon a time in south india shaivites and vaishnavites they were fighting amongst each other okay sir and arvars are nayan ah sir in that movie the kamalas and uh, act the role hmm. of vaishnava priest and the napoleon is the shaiva king yeah the king was the shaivite palava king he was a shaivite and uh, he was a vaishnavite kamalas and was a vaishnavite in that movie. okay okay <clears throat> right anyway so the arvars and nayanmars are those followers who devoted their life in singing who devoted their life in writing poems who devoted their life in writing hymns and singing hymns for the gods okay so if arvar comes up with one uh, new hymn or one new song the other side you can see nayanmar coming up with new song okay so the fight did not confine itself in the political era but the fight also penetrated into the literature development art and literature development of tamil language especially okay and the during the medieval period if you see the entire literature of tamil it consists of one side the vaishnavite tradition the other side it's the shaivite tradition okay you can see a lot of literature books it's all about lord krishna some of the books it's all about nayan mas they considered themselves to be a female devotee and wrote love songs about the god okay and one thing about arvar and nayan mas is they did not believe in caste system they protested against the caste system they did not believe in caste system they believed that you can achieve devotion i mean you can achieve the lord you can achieve salvation through devotion there's no necessity for any middleman okay so they believed in devotion to the lord devotion to the god without any caste barriers you understand though they fought amongst each other though they were people who devoted their life to god though majority of them belong to brahmana caste they did not believe in suppressing caste system at all okay guys you understand yes sir make clear am i audible yes sir ah okay then right. 
right? And uh, there were even Arvars and Nayanmars who belonged to untouchable community. Okay, so the Arvars, Nayanmars, Bhaktas, uh, not like the current day Bhaktas. Okay, so Bhaktas came from different diverse social backgrounds. So the possibility of question is whether the Arvars and Nayanmars, the Bhakti saints. Uh, they accepted the caste system or they rejected the caste system. It is a potential question. Second thing, whether the uh, bhakti saints, they come from only particular community or whether they come from different diverse social backgrounds. That second potential question. Okay, so just um, have the basic understanding. They belong to diverse social background, not from one particular community. They rejected caste system. They rejected untouchability. They rejected middlemen. All they accepted is love and devotion to the deity. That's it. Okay. And two important compilations. One is Nalaira Divya Prabandham. Okay. Nalaira Divya Prabandham, which means 4,000 sacred composition. So 4,000 compositions are there. Anthologies composed by 12 Arvars. Okay. And Tevaram, which is the seven volumes of Tirumurai, that is Shaiva's devotional poetry, written by Upper Sambandar and Sundara. Just understand this. Nalaira Tibya Prabandham belongs to Vaishnavite tradition, that is Arvars, whereas Tevaram belongs to the Shaivite tradition. Three important personalities are Upper, Sambandar, and Sundarar. Okay? Am I clear? Yes, sir. If at all UPS is going to ask you a question from Bhakti tradition, if at all UPS is going to ask you from books like this, uh, they won't go for deep questions, okay? Questions will be very uh, superficial in nature. Because... Question will be always superficial in nature because if questions are coming from bhakti tradition, especially from uh, South India. Why? Guys, am I audible? Am I audible? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. sir, sir. Okay, fine then. Right. Women devotees are very important. Okay. So, um, um, uh, as I said in other classes also, in Bhakti movement, or in any movement that you take, okay, even during the national movement, if you take, wherever women are associated, it's very important, okay, bhakti movement, and uh, during national movement, okay, 
women involvement is very important even during medieval history if there is any female female king uh, you cannot say king uh, okay female queen right so if there is any queen who controlled a large vast of land or if there was any queen if there was any famous female personalities it is very important because upsc always concentrates on women empowerment upsc always concentrates on questions related to women especially during national movement medieval history in polity okay and apart from women marginalized society okay question any year if you take any random year if you take any whether it is preliminary question paper or mains questions questions will be there if women children um old age people right sc uh, scheduled caste community scheduled tribe community okay so questions will always be there related to marginalized sections of the society and women is one of women are one of the important marginalized society in the in, in, in the important marginalized people in the society so questions will be there definitely related to women definitely related to tribal communities okay any random year you take questions will be there okay so whenever you are reading for upsc whatever you are reading for upsc you should concentrate if it is about women you should have in depth understanding if it is related to tribal community and other marginalized sections of the uh, society okay am i clear yes sir okay so the important women devotees of bhakti tradition is andal uh, she was the only female arvar okay so there are totally 12 arvars and only one female arvar uh, her name is andal okay obviously her uh, verses express her devotion to the deity then karaikal ammayar she was the uh, one of the 63 nayanars right so both of them are aesthetics and important other bhakti saints one is adi shankara or shankaracharya okay so his doctrine is known as advaita or vedanta advaita vedanta see there are certain people okay who believed god has attributes okay and there are other sections of the people who believe god has no attributes known as nirguna or saguna nirguna means without attributes saguna means with attributes okay what is the meaning exact meaning attributes means guys power hmm nirguna means no power no power hmm without any use okay 
இஸ்லாம் there's no picture for god in islam right there's no idol for god in islam right so can we say no source of god ha huh? no source for god no source no no source not getting no source for god no source for god whether is existence it's not about the existence okay they believed in the existence of god but they did not believe in the form as given in the scriptures they did not believe in the form that is wrote or you know drew by some people sitting in some corner they believed in god they believed in formless god okay sir sir okay so there are two traditions of bhakti one tradition is nirguna the other tradition is saguna nirguna are the people who believed in god but they they believed in the formless god okay god has no face in that sect and there is other tradition known as saguna tradition saguna tradition believed in god saguna tradition believed in the form i mean the god with attributes the god with form for example if you say lord rama our lord krishna yeah kind of against idol and pick up your worship if you can say okay if you say lord rama or lord krishna you will imagine someone with blue color paint on the body right with flute in the hand that's saguna tradition nirguna tradition they did not believe in that okay so anyways adi shankara propounded advaita vedanta the meaning of advaita is non duality the meaning of non duality is atma and brahma are one and the same what is atma what is brahma anyways you are not going to answer it so i'll myself answer um <clears throat> atma means individual soul brahma means universal soul adi shankara believed that universal soul and individual soul are one and the same that is known as advaita advaita means non dual they are one and the same the concept is otherwise known as monism okay as it is given here monism or 
ಅದ್ವೈತ ವೇದಾಂತ ಓಕೆ ಸೊ ಅದ್ವೈತ ಫಿಲಾಸಫಿ ಆರ್ ಮೋನಿಸಮ್ ಫಿಲಾಸಫಿ ಬಿಲೀವ್ಡ್ ದಟ್ ಇಂಡಿವಿಜುವಲ್ ಸೋಲ್ ದಟ್ ಇಸ್ ಆತ್ಮ ಅಂಡ್ ದ ಯೂನಿವರ್ಸಲ್ ಸೋಲ್ ದಟ್ ಇಸ್ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮ ಆರ್ ಒನ್ ಅಂಡ್ ದಿ ಸೇಮ್ ಓಕೆ ದಟ್ ಇಸ್ ನೋನ್ ಅಸ್ ಅದ್ವೈತ ಫಿಲಾಸಫಿ ಐ ಮೀನ್ ಕ್ಲಿಯರ್ ಗೈಸ್ ಆದಿಶಂಕರ ಪ್ರಫೌಂಡ್ ಅದ್ವೈತ ಮೋನಿಸಮ್ ಕಾನ್ಸೆಪ್ಟ್ ರೈಟ್ ನೆಕ್ಸ್ಟ್ ಇಸ್ ರಾಮಾನುಜ ರೈಟ್ ಆದಿಶಂಕರ ವಾಸ್ ಬೌನ್ ಇನ್ ಕೇರಳ ಎನಿವೇಸ್ ಅಂಡ್ ರಾಮಾನುಜ ವಾಸ್ ಬೌನ್ ಇನ್ ಮಾಡರ್ನ್ ಡೇ ಚೆನ್ನೈ ಹಿ ಪ್ರೀಚ್ಡ್ ವಿಶಿಷ್ಟ ಅದ್ವೈತ ನೋನ್ ಅಸ್ ಕ್ವಾಲಿಫೈಡ್ ನಾನ್ ಡುವಲಿಸಮ್ ಆರ್ ಕ್ವಾಲಿಫೈಡ್ ಮೋನಿಸಮ್ ಓಕೆ ರಾಮಾನುಜ ಬಿಲೀವ್ಡ್ ದಟ್ ಗಾಡ್ ಇಸ್ ಸಗುಣ which means he believed in the form of god right so anyways he invited the downtrodden to vaishnavism see whether it's shankaracharya ramanujacharya these people did not believe in untouchability these people did not believe in middlemen these people invited all sections of the people women uh no uh, people belonging to tribal community people belonging to the uh, scheduled caste community they welcomed everyone in embracing god okay you understand yes sir right next madhavacharya so madhavacharya he was born in karnataka so he preached the doctrine of dvaita or dualism so what is the meaning of dvaita guys dvaita or dualism separate atma brahma concept simple that's it right advaita means they are one and the same dvaita means they are different okay atma is different brahma is different okay then what is the meaning of vishishta advaita vishishta advaita advaita means they are different dual in nature advaita means they are same then what is the meaning of vishishta advaita sir vishishta means becomes brahma um one at a time please sir after salvation ha uh, atma uh, become brahma or atma goes into brahma after salvation atma goes to brahma okay right i see it's very simple vishishta advaita says atma and brahma are one and the same okay but there is a but but atma 
is just a small part of brahma that is in a separate form atma and brahma are the one and same there's no doubt in that atma is just another manifestation of brahma okay you understand uh, sir sir can you repeat please ah. sure see atma and brahma are the one and same okay that is advaita atma is different brahma is different that is dvaita vishishta advaita is atma and brahma are the same but atma is is a manifestation of brahma you understand okay sir yes okay i'll try to explain it in another way see this key is a metal right this key is a metal am i right yes yes okay and this coin is also a metal right yes okay dvaita says these two are different okay advaita says these two are the same vishishta advaita says see both of them are metal both of them made up of same metal but both of them are represented separately you understand if it is separate it is dvaita if it is same it is advaita if they say it is just another form of the same metal then it is vishishta advaita you understand now sir clear sir clear Huh? Clear, sir. Clear. Okay. Good. So, Madhava Charya is the proponent of Dvaita philosophy. Okay. Next is Nimbarka and Vallabha Charya. So they are also Vaishnavite saints. Next is Surdas. Surdas was a disciple of Vallabha Charya, and he is the person responsible for taking this. krishna culture the krishna cult he popularized the krishna cult in the northern part of india okay he is the person responsible for taking this to the north part of india and mirabai you know i hope you know about mirabai she was a great devotee of lord krishna and her bhajans became very popular in rajasthan region next is tulasi das so tulasi das is a worshipper of rama like you know even uh, vaishnava tradition some followed krishna some followed rama and tulasidas famous composition is ramacharitamanas you know right ramacharitamanas the hindi version of ramayana okay tulasidas ramacharitamanas and uh, one very important personality is ramananda okay he was born in allahabad that is up or uh, 
what is the present name, name of allahabad prayagraj uh, good prayagraj okay so he was born at prayagraj and he was inspired by ramanujacharya he later founded his own sect and he was the person responsible for spreading the vaishnavite tradition all over north india okay especially at the up region banaras agra okay and ramananda was the person first time who employed the vernacular medium to spread his ideas right and obviously as just like other people he also stood against the oppressive caste system he accepted disciples from all sections of the society irrespective of caste okay and he had some of the uh, some of the almost all the most important people came after ramananda almost all important saints came after ramananda where the followers are uh, where the students of ramananda himself so these were the disciples of ramananda anantananda shukananda sursurananda right kabir dhananda ravidas okay all these people famous personalities who came after ramananda were the disciples of ramananda okay and the most important disciple of ramananda was kabir das okay so kabir he was a weaver okay he was a born hindu got education from christian missionary and worked as a weaver in a muslim family <coughs> right so from young years from his childhood onwards he become accustomed with different you know ideas from all the religions since he was a born hindu he knew about the hindu culture tradition since he was growing up in a muslim household he learned the islamic traditions and culture and one side he educated from christian missionaries christian schools he got the idea of christianity also okay and kabir panthis are the people who follow kabir das all kabir aimed during his period was to reunite hindus and muslims to form harmony between these two religions okay and during the period of 14th and 15th century three important personalities one is ramananda the other one is kabir and the other one is guru nanak who not who took the beacon who took the beacon and ran for the popularity of bhakti cult okay anyways um they criticized worship of idols they consisted i mean they spoke about pure devotion they spoke about casteless society they spoke about religious harmony okay all they considered is the salvation of people through bhakti tradition nothing else okay is there any famous book or famous literature written by kabir famous literature by kabir 
book by Kabir Das. Kalidharas. Huh? Guys. Guys, do you understand my question? Yes, sir, but not remember the name. Kabir Das ki Doha. Yeah, yeah. Doha. Our couplets. Ah, I don't remember the name. That is not the compilation, actually. That is the way of writing, but okay. Even Doha is acceptable. There is another one known as Bijak. B A J A K, Bijak. Composition of Kabir songs is known as Bijak. Okay. Am I clear? Okay, sir. Right. So next is Guru Nanak. So Guru Nanak was born in Talwandi near Lahore. So Guru Nanak was the founder of Sikh religion. Right. and obviously guru nanak also condemned the caste differences okay and uh, he established this kartarpur corridor now it is in current affairs right for the past 2 3 years this kartarpur corridor is in current affairs where is kartarpur corridor pakistan pakistan right so anyways and uh, it is there in pakistan now and the people of sikh religion unfortunately they are not able to visit their holy shrine one of the most important place the birthplace of guru nanak they are not able to go there next is guru angad okay so guru angad is the person responsible for the compilation of uh, sikh script known as gurmukhi <coughs> okay Gurmukhi is the Sikh script, holy script, was compiled by Guru Angad, and next is Guru Arjan. So Guru Arjan was executed by Jahangir. Okay, Guru Arjan was the Guru Arjan Dev was the fifth Sikh Guru. He was executed by Jahangir. So kindly understand this because it's a potential question because. guru arjan and jahangir are contemporaries right usually for the past 3 4 years ups continuously asking who is the contemporary of whom next is guru gobind singh right guru gobind singh is the person responsible for adding a lot of other figures into the gurumukhi and the guru granth sahib the holy scripture was compiled by tej bahadur okay so these are some of the important sikh guru and personalities guru granth sahib by tej bahadur gurmukhi script by guru angad the founder of sikhism by guru nanak okay am i clear 
yes sir right next is chaitanya mahaprabhu so chaitanya mahaprabhu belonged to west bengal okay he was a saint and reformer and this was 2018 upsc 10 marks question chaitanya mahaprabhu how chaitanya mahaprabhu uh, uh, changed the entire face of the bhakti tradition okay <clears throat> and almost all the bhakti tradition relied upon music song devotion love dance okay so bhakti tradition contributed a lot for the development of music and dance in india okay i hope you know about this already anyways i am reassuring it okay right next is nanadeva nanadeva was the bhakti saint of maharashtra and uh, he wrote nyaneshwari a commentary for bhagavad gita see there are lot of people okay there is a lot of bhakti saints during this period it's um, it's very difficult for you to learn read and revise this before going to the exam so what i say is learn the important personalities read about them and before going to the exam just two or three days before the exam or even one day prior to the exam kindly revise it okay kindly revise the name what they did the contemporary period the contemporary of whom which mughal emperor the contemporary of which delhi sultanate okay what is their important contribution whether they belong to saguna sect nirguna sect whether they are vaishnavites or whether they are shaivites these are some things you should know okay next is namadeva eknath so as i said namadeva eknath tukaram ramdas all these people belong to lower caste and all of them belong to maharashtra region okay as i saying tukaram tukaram was the contemporary of shivaji he was the person responsible for the maratha nationalism the rise of maratha nationalism so you can understand that eknath tukaram namdeva all these people belonging to maharashtra belong majorly to the downtrodden community okay lower caste community unlike ramanujacharya vallabhacharya madhavacharya adi shankaracharya these people belong to upper caste okay whereas the saints of maharashtra majorly belong to lower caste and community <clears throat> am i clear you understand yes sir yes sir and uh, there are three other groups in bhakti tradition and these people are kind of anarchs they did not believe in state they did not believe in society okay nath pandits siddhas yogis okay siddhas are the people belonging to south india yogis and nath pandits are uh, distributed throughout 
Karnataka, Maharashtra and uh, UP region. Okay. So these people condemned rituals. They did not believe it. Okay. And they did not believe in any other aspects of Orthodox religion. They did not believe in social order. Okay. They, all the method they used was simple logical arguments. Okay. They encouraged the renunciation of the world. You know, right? This Nathpantis, Siddhas and Yogis, they renounced the world. They will meditate. They will go for extreme penance. Right? They mutilate themselves. Okay. So they trained their mind and body through yogasana, breathing exercise, meditation. So these guys are very extreme in nature. Right? You understand? Nathpandis, Siddhas and Yogis are extreme people who followed extreme methods of meditation and breathing exercise. Okay? They renounced the world. They were mostly naked people wandering around in forest. Shall we move forward? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, the importance of bhakti tradition. One important thing is, as I already said, they helped in the development of literature. They helped in the development of regional languages through lot of songs, through lot of poems. Okay, for example, Kabir Das. For example, Arvars, Nayanmars. Okay. And uh, there was one important personality in Kannada, Karnataka region. Basavanna. Okay. All of them contributed in the development of literature as well as the regional languages. Right? right one thing is, why do we help in the development of regional language? Why is it so important? Sir, then only people, the uh, common people can understand the uh, ideologies of... Exactly. The bhakti tradition is all about common people attaining salvation through, through just devotion, nothing else. There's no need for you to spend money. Okay, don't buy coconut for 30 rupees, 40 rupees. Don't buy banana, beetle leaves. Okay for puja, don't do that. Just sit simply, meditate for a while. Think about God. Think about the good things in the world. Devote yourself in bhakti. That's enough. There's no need for you to visit a holy shrine where you have to spend thousands of rupees in traveling and you have to put uh, so much money in the hindi. There's no necessity. Okay. So, a common person, a for the common people who do not have money, for them bhakti tradition, bhakti movement gave them a sense of you no, know, a sense of uh, belongingness in this world. Right? For common people, you cannot write in Sanskrit. For common people, you cannot write in Hindi. Only in Hindi. 
right so to spread the ideas to the common people they have to speak in the common people's language which is the development of bengali kannada literature marathi hindi malayalam to a great extent tamil okay so almost all the regional languages and literature developed during the medieval period because of the bhakti movement only okay and the second thing is lower caste and lower community to so far because of bhakti movement so far it was nobles so far it was brahmanas so far it was kshatriyas and vaishyas right so the trading community the trader community the warrior clans the nobles of islam only they were in prominent position but during the bhakti movement anyone from any caste any community any lower class rose to the prominence and great importance because of bhakti movement right and the other thing is for the first time society because bhakti movement did not differentiate for both the sexes so women also rose to prominence during the period of bhakti movement in india right you understand yes sir sir voice breaking hello hello sir hello. am i audible yes sir yes sir okay just so this is the timeline of different people okay so you can see upper sambandhar sundarar of the shaivai tradition they belong to 5th century to 8th century ce and later came nammalwar manika vasagar andal tondaradi podi okay and finally after that a while later in 1000 bc i mean 1000 ce and 1100 ce ramanujacharya basavanna came after that it slowly moved towards north part of india so you can see that from 5th century to the 10th century the concentration of bhakti movement happened only in south india for 500 years it concentrated only in south india only 500 years later it slowly moved towards north india okay and in fact it's not just 500 years it's almost 600 to 700 years it took for the bhakti movement to move to the maharashtra region right so after that the period of nanadeva muktabai khwaja moinuddin chisti so kindly read this timeline okay read it revise it again and again because it's a potentially basic question 
okay so kabir das is a contemporary of which delhi sultan kabir das is the contemporary of which delhi sultan guys guys am i audible yes sir yes sir ha tell me now kabir das was the contemporary of which delhi sultan lodi ha huh? which lodi lodi the lodi is right which ibrahim lodi ha huh? ibrahim lodi sir okay so can we say that kabir was a contemporary of babar contemporary of babar no sir ha no no why babar came into the picture right by 1500s babar came into the picture okay 1526 Mm. Uh, be, uh, Kabir lived between fourteen thousand and fifteen thousand. Okay, so you are saying that uh, Babar born after fifteen hundreds. Babar came to picture in India uh, after fifteen thousand. So okay, right. <clears throat> so babar born in the year of 1483 the, the picture of babar came into india after 1500 says you know by 1526 babar came into india <clears throat> right <clears throat> so no the period of these people and uh, compare it with the delhi sultans and mughals right so will see some questions from bhakti tradition bhakti and sufi sir the proponent of bhakti cult in west bengal was ramanujacharya true or false so proponent of bhakti cult from west bengal was ramanujacharya true or false so where did ramanujacharya belong to from which ha eh? so tamil nadu south india right tamil nadu so 
the proponent of bhakti cult in west bengal was ramananda false, false. okay what about kabir false chaitanya mahaprabhu true 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 good ramanujacharya advocated dvaita philosophy true or false ramanujacharya advocated dvaita policy true or false arishu sure? ramanujacharya spoke about dvaita false फॉल्स false bhakti cult laid emphasis on devotion to god devotion to god okay. they never spoke about universal brotherhood sir uh, i think sufism is related with universal brotherhood no sufism also has got nothing to do with universal brotherhood okay so to revamp islam they were liberal people they never spoke about universal brotherhood okay understand clear shall we move forward so what about kabir what about kabir what universal yes, brotherhood he stood for yes sir yes he stood for universal brotherhood okay okay right so ramanujacharya established four mats in four corners of india true or false ramanujacharya established four mats in four corners of india true or false so false false it is actually adi shankara it's shankaracharya who established four mats in four corners of india right okay no problem and uh, <clears throat> ramanuja was born at srirangam true or false ramanuja was born in srirangam true or false so it's a previous year upsc question okay so you have to know it no other way 
Sir, he is from Tamil Nadu, I think. Ramanuja. Huh? Tamil Nadu Tamil Nadu. Tamil Nadu only. Question is whether he, he was born at Sri Rangam. Sri Rangam was, Sri Rangam is there in Tamil Nadu only. Okay, sir. Okay. So okay, I'll see. give you the options. Okay. Sri Rangam, Sri Valli Puttur, Udupi, none of the above. Sir, Udupi, Karnataka. Ah, so, you can eliminate that. Sri Rangam? Sri Rangam. Sri Rangam, no. Sri Rangam, Sri Valliputur, Udupi, none of the above. Answer is none of the above. He was born in Sri Paramudur. Okay, sir. Right, anyways, it's a previous question. So, kindly make a note of it and read it. Sir, the Sri Ranga, uh, that is Sri Perimbatur is the place where the Raji Gandhi has stated. Yeah, same place. Yes. Okay. So, Tyagaraja, a Bhakti saint, was born in Tamil Nadu. True or false? True. It's false. Tyagaraja belongs to Andhra. Right. Purandra Das belongs to Karnataka. True or false? Purandra Dasa. Sir, false. He's from Andhra. No, Purandra Dasa belongs to Karnataka. It's true. Shankaradeva belongs to Gujarat region of Bhakti cult. True or false? Shankaradeva belongs to Gujarat Bhakti cult. True or false? The false. 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 Right, good. The great philosopher Shankara advocated Advaita. True or false? True. True. True only. Advaita. Shankaracharya, he is concentrated on Advaita only. Without any doubt. Adi Shankara was one of the greatest Hindu scholar. True or false? False. False. So he was not a great, greatest Hindu scholar. Sir, can we say a Hindu? Hinduism as such, it did not exist. That is true. But later, it all got compiled within Hinduism, the folds of Hinduism, right? Yes, sir. only. And Bhakti movement is one of the reasons why Hinduism became famous or why Hinduism as such became a religion. Because the people who are fighting against each other now started to sing against each other. And slowly they found why, why to fight. 
we all uh, know believe in god okay yes he was one of the greatest hindu scholar there's no doubt in it he was born in kerala that is also correct right nova shankaracharya guys yes sir ha ah. right the first ever indian feature film in sanskrit was made after his name true or false the first ever indian feature film in sanskrit was made in his name true or false made after his name <clears throat> that is also true and uh, the movie got the best feature film of that year 1983 right anyways so what's the name just to know name name of what uh, that film dude that... name Sorry. of the movie shankara okay sir okay okay right so so the bhakti leader who used the medium of dance and the songs are kirtanas to make one feel the personal presence of god near him was chaitanya mahaprabhu true or false so is it true chaitanya mahaprabhu was the bhakti leader who used the medium of dance and song to make feel the personal presence of god near him true or false true or false true. true is it true yeah chaitanya mahaprabhu chaitanya mahaprabhu is the person responsible for the development of bhakti cult in west bengal through songs and dance see you can you can clearly see that there are so many questions in upsc related to chaitanya mahaprabhu and adi shankara right okay sir also kabir das okay right anyways bijak was written by guru nanak 
True or false? False. 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 Written by? Kabir. Kabir Das. Okay, good. Kabir Das was a Bhakti saint belonging to 13th century AD. True or false? False. Belong to 15th century. Okay. Good. Kabir Das was a saint of Nirguna sect. True or false? Kabir Das was a saint of Nirguna sect. True or false? Guys, am I audible? You understand my question? The false? True. True. Because okay. he was a weaver, born in a Hindu family, raised in a Muslim family, studied from Christian missionaries. How can you expect him to believe? In uh, in a form God in a God with a face in, in a God with a form. Okay. 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 What about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? Nirguna or Saguna? Uh, Saguna. Saguna, because he believed in Vaishnavism. He believed in Lord Krishna. Okay. What about Surdas? Surdas. Surdas. What about Tulasidas? Surdas is another important personality. He wrote Sadhguna. Sadhguna? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both Surdas and Tulasidas belong to Saguna only. Right? Good. Dadu Dayal is the writer of Bijak. True or false? The composition of Dadu Dayal's poems and hymns is known as Bijak. True or false? False. 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 False only. It's Kabir. So, anyways, so you can you can understand that questions are very basic in nature. Okay. So you just have to know their contribution, importance. That's it. You can easily write. Okay. So tomorrow we'll see Vijayanagara Kingdom, Vijayanagara and Bamani Kingdom. Okay. So okay, for sure. today we'll we'll conclude our class for today.
Thank you all. Have a good day. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. Thank, Thank you. Sir.